Scripture for today is Philippians 3, 12 through 21. Not that I have attained all, not that I have already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and in If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and the glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Good morning. Let's pray. God, pressing on, striving, straining forward, can sound like works righteousness. It can sound like a lot of straining and difficulty on our part, God. I pray that this morning, this sermon would not come off that way. It would not come off as a difficult burden to carry, but that it would be our joy, it would be our delight to press on, and that your burden would be light and your yoke easy, Father, and that we remember we're not doing this in our own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit who enables us and empowers us. In your name I pray, amen. All right, we're in Philippians 3. If you're just visiting, we're in a sermon series on Philippians, preaching through, and we're getting towards the end. We're in the end of chapter 3. It's titled, Joyfully Following Jesus Until the End, which Pastor Mike has been so good at organizing and getting ready and executing while Pastor Dave is on sabbatical. We've learned a lot of things so far in Philippians um, about the Christian life, valuing, knowing Christ, gaining Him rejoicing in suffering, working out our salvation, looking to our elders, partnering with God on his mission. And today we're going to look at the mindset of a mature Christian, the mindset that goes behind all of those things. What does Paul want us to think and focus on? So I believe that's kind of, even though there's so many things in this passage, of course, um, I think the main point is this. Mature Christians know that the path to future perfection, that is our glorification, is persevering on the narrow road of suffering, which is our present perfecting, that is our sanctification. Do you remember the two paths? We have the path to glory. It's winding. It's difficult. Um, but at the end of it is a glorious prize that makes 
everything worth it in it, gives us joy along the way. And then on this side we have the path that leads to destruction. One of them is glorifying God, and the other is sin. So in this passage, Paul is giving us both assurances and warnings, and the Christian will believe them both with his mindset or beliefs, and they will keep him or her on the path to life. So before we go through the whole text, I want to jump right down to 15 and and talk about why I'm getting this overall picture of a mindset. So I'm going to start from verse 12. Not that I have obtained this or already imperfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. And we have 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God's going to reveal that to you, because you're wrong. (laughs) So the first point is Paul is calling us to mature thinking. Again, there's commands. We've covered those in previous passages. He's giving us an assurance. But more importantly, that he's confronting an earthly mindset. He says, stop letting your senses determine your beliefs and actions. Mature Christians, look to the prize. If you don't think this, if you don't think this way, then you're a child. You're immature. So I believe Paul's main emphasis is not actions, but it's a mindset that produces certain actions. Mature Christians think this way. I'm going to talk about some words a little bit. I don't normally do this, but I I found it very interesting. So when you're reading the English translation, you don't notice this as much. But once you start looking into the original words, you'll see that in verse 12, the word perfect, I am already made perfect. I'm not already made perfect. And the word in 15, which is mature, mature Christians think this way, has the same root word, which is telos, which means goal or end. So he's not, in the first sense, he's saying, I haven't already reached the end. I'm not already perfected. And then in the second sense, when he's saying I'm not mature, he's saying, this is my goal, okay? Mature people think already like that. It's our goal. They think perfectly, but we're not there yet. Paul isn't saying I'm there like, hey, I'm already mature, think like me. He's saying, let those of us who have reached this goal, those of us who will reach this goal, think like this. So it's ideal. It's an ideal that we're striving for. It's not something that he says he has attained yet. We think of the word maturity, we can look to John 4.18 where he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That perfect love. He's not saying we have perfect love, although we would love to love perfectly, He's describing a type of love, a mature love, a complete love. Love's this way. And same with our thinking, a mature thinking, a complete thinking. A mindset that is completely mature in Christ will think a certain way. And he says, 
This is how we're supposed to think. He's sitting in prison, and he says, I'm rejoicing. I'm excited. Why? Because he's on that narrow path. He's rejoicing in the prize. And like James says, perseverance produces maturity. It produces completeness that we may lack nothing. That's what Paul knows. So he's like, hey, I'm being perfected. I'm sitting in chains. I'm not moving. I don't get to go out witnessing or I don't get to go out and, you know, doing all the works. But my mindset is being purified over and over and I'm being perfected over and over because I'm abiding in Christ. So he rejoices. We got to look at that. What, what produces that? So his mature thinking is not just head knowledge, like he knows about Christ. As Kyle preached last week, it's more than knowing about God. It's knowing God intimately. And the more we know him intimately, the more mature we become. It's about abiding in him. And this changes our mindset and produces actions, and your actions reveal your beliefs. All right? I'm going to give you an illustration. Picture yourself walking up to, you're in the zoo, you walk up to a massive 20-foot-high fence, an enclosure. You know something is huge and dangerous inside because there's two-inch-thick cables surrounding that fence. When you get close, you hear the, you're like, okay, think, man, there's electricity surging through these cables. You look up and you see a sign the skull and crossbones that says, warning, danger, stand back 10 feet. How many would take a step back in fear and trembling? Like, okay, don't want to touch that or I might die, right? You probably wouldn't touch it because you believe that it will kill you. If someone doesn't touch it, it doesn't reveal whether or not that person has a free will to touch it. But it reveals that they never believed in the deadliness of that fence. This is kind of how warning passages in the Bible work. God says things like, if you do this, you'll go to hell. If you don't, then you won't. Those passages are not teaching that I have a free will over my salvation or not. The warning scriptures do just what they are. They warn And those who heed that warning reveal that their eyes have been opened to see the truth, to believe. And if they don't heed the warning, it reveals that they never believed. Those who believe the warning won't touch the fence. When our knowledge of God, here's what you got to write down if you're going to write anything down. I'm going to say it twice. When our knowledge of God penetrates our hearts, which is an act of God, as we will see, it turns into love for Him, then our desires and our will produce actions that align with our beliefs, and the more that happens, the more mature we become. And it was long. Here we go. When our knowledge of God penetrates our hearts, which is an act of God, it turns into love for Him, and then our desires and our will produce actions that align with our beliefs, and the more that happens, the more they come into alignment, the more mature we become. So put on this mindset. Paul frequently calls believers to be of one mind. 
to have the mind of Christ, to focus on the upward call. So we're going to look at five major beliefs in our text this morning that Paul is calling us to adopt in our mindset. The first is, mature Christians focus on the heavenly goal and prize. Paul's excited about something, right? He's sitting in chains, he's in a prison, he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, he's been, people try to kill him all the time. He's still excited. He's excited about winning the race and getting the trophy. And I, I, the onlooking world must be so confused. Why would Paul want to sit in clouds, playing the harp all day long, singing Kumbaya next to some big guy with a white beard? Because that's their impression of heaven. So they don't care. They don't care about that. They don't care about hell because hell's a party. But that's not what the prize is for Paul. So he says in verse 12, I have not attained it, that's the prize, nor am I already perfect. That's his goal, to be fully mature, developed, complete, transformed like Christ. So for Paul, there's two things that are kind of similar, the goal and the prize. We can group them together, but I'm going to separate them just a little bit. For Paul, the goal is crossing that finish line. It's completing his race. And the prize is the reward of finishing well, that upward call of exaltation. So by looking back out of our text just a little bit, we're going to learn the antecedents to it. What is it? What is his prize? And the process by which he attains it, the goal. Philippians 3, 10 through 11, just right before our text says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul wants to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, smashing my phone, cutting off my arm, plucking out my eyes, finding new friends, I may attain the goal. That is the resurrection from the dead. Paul's goal is to know Christ more, to take up his cross, to suffer and die well here on earth, and then attain the resurrection. It's his path. This is sanctification, a process that Paul has been calling living Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ is to become more like him, depend on him completely for our holiness and our righteousness. And even now, Paul is looking forward to the prize. So his prize is just before that. It's in 3, 8, and 9. His prize is that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul's prize is gaining Christ and being found in him. It's more than that, but this is what he's specifically saying in these verses. Paul must be found in Christ at the resurrection if he is to achieve his goal and win the prize. After the resurrection, see, Paul will be made completely perfect in holiness and righteousness. And he knows that. He's excited about it. He'll be given a new body. In our text, in verse 21 as Lauren so graciously read, Paul said, our bodies will literally, physically be transformed to be like his glorious body, Christ's glorious body. It's a complete consummation. The prize at the end is a complete consummation of all things. Not just Paul. He's not just excited about getting a new body because he's a little wrinkly and old. He is excited about the consummation of all things being made 
perfect. So we can dwell with God forever. We enjoy him forever without pain, without disease or suffering or sin or guilt or shame. For Paul, the prize and the goal are one thing. And he says, we haven't attained it yet. We haven't, all things haven't been made perfect in Christ yet, beginning with the resurrection, the upward call, gaining Christ, being made perfect in our inner and outer man, our righteousness, our bodies, our knowledge, our relationships, our joy, and our pleasures. Dwelling in a new heaven and a new earth that's made perfect, a new recreated earth, that's going to be really fascinating to see. Knowing God more and more for all eternity and worshiping forever. That is glorification. That's exciting. And that is Paul's prize. That's what's driving him. That's what's on the forefront of his mind. This infinitely glorious prize. He has taken a Polaroid and put it on his fridge, on his vision board. And he says, I want that. That's what I'm looking for. That's future thinking. Number two, mature Christians know they haven't attained that yet. (laughs) I know that sounds painfully obvious to me. It does. But we have to take a little bit of a look at that. And he's not addressing people that obviously know they're perfect. He's There's a little bit of history behind that. He's specifically attacking a group of Christians called Judaizers that taught in order to be saved, a Christian must keep the whole Jewish law and trust in Christ and be circumcised. It was like, he's like, no. Paul frequently rebukes this way of thinking. And he's refuting this heretical message that by keeping the law, a a person can attain perfection in this life. And a side note, people do believe that. I had a professor in my past slightly heretical college days um, where one of our professors did believe that he had attained sinless perfection. I just think, isn't that a sin just to think you've attained it? Like, how prideful do you have to be to walk into a room and be like, I've attained it. Paul didn't, but I didn't. I just, yeah, it's fat, it's, yeah. Um, if Christianity was a bunch of rules to be kept, then yeah, sure, I guess we could attain it, right? I just picture like someone in the, in the old, you know, a Jew, you know, yeah, I, I didn't do anything on the Sabbath. I just sat in my underwear and drank beer and watched the prices right. I didn't even change the channel. Yeah, okay, you didn't even pick up the remote. You are perfect. (laughs) Paul condemns that idea by showing that he's accomplished everything the law could offer. And it's all rubbish. It does not make you righteous. It does not save you. If it did, he was righteous many times over. He was a Jew of Jews. But remember, Paul is saying, At the last day, I must be found in Christ. When Christ returns, when I attain the resurrection, I must be found in Him if I'm going to be saved, not in my own righteousness. 
So he says, renounce that way of thinking. We haven't arrived and we won't arrive until the resurrection. Even so, press on to maturity. Three, mature Christians know that Christ has securely saved them. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. That word is to lay hold of, to possess, to securely seize, because Christ has made me his own. The exact same word. He has laid hold of me. He has possessed me. He's seized me permanently. He owns me because he bought me with his blood. And this little cause has massive implications for Paul. Christ has made me his own. He's re-giving us the same assurance from chapter 1, verse 6, that the God who began a good work in you will complete it. He doesn't leave us alone. God sent Jesus to secure the salvation of those whom he chose. He gives us the Holy Spirit's power to live it out, ensuring that we will endure. I mean, look at Paul's life. He was lost in sin, enemy of God, literally killing Christians. And yet, God, in his mercy, reached down from heaven, violently blinded him, transformed his heart, and then opened his eyes. And when Paul could see clearly, he was never going back. Paul was not seeking God. He wasn't a seeker. God did not respect Paul's free will. God invaded Paul's life and saved him. And this Paul, who faced, who went face to face with Jesus, told the Ephesians, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, and he predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his will. God has indeed chosen a people so that his plan of election will stand to dwell with him and worship him in eternity for his glory and our good our good. The big problem is that before Christ, we are all like Paul, enemies of God, living by the flesh, loving the pleasures of the world, on the path to destruction. We didn't love him. We didn't want him. We didn't seek after him. We rebelled after against him. We were under a death sentence, waiting God's wrath. So in order to accomplish his plan, he sent Jesus, a perfect and holy redeemer, to sacrifice himself on the behalf of the elect and purchase with his own blood those whom God predestined, securing them for eternity. I know this is recapping, but it's so important to get this because this affects our assurance. It affects our, our mindset when we're thinking about our salvation in Christ. In Hebrews 10, the writer says, by a single offering, he has perfected, Jesus has perfected for all time those being sanctified. He's perfected those being sanctified. If you think you're a Christian, if you are on that path, if you are being sanctified and you're loving God, guess what? He has perfected you. Jesus paid our fine, wiped away our debt, and you can't undo that. No control Z. Because that's a work of God. 
Furthermore, he clothed us in his righteousness. So he wiped away our debt. He put on his righteousness. And this is a once and for all time deal, meaning those whom he has called are not able to add or subtract to their salvation by working or sinning. Because Jesus did the work and he paid for those sins. Believers do not just put on Christ's righteousness one day and then, you know, stumble and fall, lose it, and then find it and then put it on the next day like a shower robe. It's a permanent work that lasts through eternity. This is vital to our understanding of assurance. Paul told the Romans that those whom God predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. There isn't a break in the chain. God called you, justified you by his Son, and he will glorify you. He had this in mind, speaking to the Philippians, when he said Christ will complete that work. My personal favorite is John 6. When it comes to trusting in Jesus for our finished work, you want red letters? You just want Jesus? All right, here's what Jesus said about your salvation. He said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. You love John 3.16? Anyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. I love it too. Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in me. It's a work of God. It's a God-given gift that you didn't do. Then Jesus says, all those, all the Father gave me, all that believe in me, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You think, yeah, we can let go. Just, no. Everyone who is drawn will come to Jesus, not because God forces them, but because he's unveiled their eyes to see the truth, as Paul puts it. They've seen the prize. They've seen glory. They see Jesus. So why would they turn back? Jesus completes the thought this, and this is the will of him who sent me, God, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That is powerful. That is what Paul is trusting in. If you had simply laid hold of Christ, you could let go when times got hard, and you would. But praise God, Christ has laid hold of you. He has seized you, and Jesus promised that he will not lose anyone whom he's made his own. The spiritually mature believer believes that mystery and rests in Christ's finished work completely and securely. Number four, mature Christians press on because they are saved, not be, not to be saved. So we've got to be careful here. Paul doesn't want us to confuse the order. He strives, he presses on, he strains because Christ has made him his own, not to become owned or adopted. Christ did the decisive work. He saved us, so we serve him joyfully. 
for that reason, because he saved us. Now, this reminds me of a movie. I, here I go. I'm giving an illustration from a movie. I am trendy. <sighs> it's an old one, though. <clears throat> the Count of Monte Cristo. I like that movie. Edmund, the protagonist, washes up on a beach after escaping from an undeserved prison sentence. And when he wakes up, a band of pirates is there and forces him to fight Jacopo, a rebellious um, crew member that they're going to kill. And they think, ah, we want to have fun. Let's watch these guys fight to the death. So they start fighting. Unfortunately for Jacopo, Edmund is a much better fighter. Immediately pins him to the ground, knife to his throat, and he's about to kill him. And he looks up at the captain and he pleads for Jacopo's life. Don't kill him. You'll have two servants instead of one. The captain is persuaded and agrees. Jacopo grabs Edmund by the collar and says, I am your man forever. And he pledged his lifelong allegiance to Edmund because he saved him. We have lost this concept in our culture. Unwavering loyalty to death. Serving a king? Are you kidding me? Serving a master? It's a code, though, that Paul lived by. Christ spared his life, so Paul swears lifelong allegiance to his Savior. I mean, if someone saved your or my life today, the most that they would get is a thank you card or a barbecue. Not undying allegiance. (laughs) But that's the idea behind Paul's thinking. He says, I strain forward because Christ has made me his own. And the mature Christian will think in these terms. Number five, mature Christians hold fast to what we've already attained. So this perfection, this maturity is something apparently Paul believes that the Philippians are making progress in. That's cool. So whatever progress you've made on this journey, in this race, don't turn back. Don't let it go. Persevere. Endure till the end. But perseverance is not magic. We don't just get on that escalator and ride it up to the clouds. Pick up our harp. But it is a mystery. God is sovereignly completing his work in us, yet we have a part to play. Our salvation is something we are continually working on, maintaining and maturing in. When we think about uh, when we were saved, we don't look back to when we signed a salvation card or came down to the altar, although there was a decisive point in history when God did save you. We look to what we're putting our faith in right now. Where am I right now? Am I trusting in Christ? Am I found in Him? We don't just sin one day, as we talked about, and then all of a sudden 
we lose all the progress that we've gained. So I immediately think of like those um, things on the wall, the, the counters, like at a metal shop or like a machine shop where it says, you know, 250 days since our last incident. You know, you're like, yes! And then someone saws off a finger. You're like, oh, shoot. We just lost all our progress, Bob. <sighs> so when I sin, that is what I am tempted to think like. Oh, I just lost all my progress, reset to zero. God hates me. <sighs> but spiritual growth is not a counter that resets. It's more like a tree that's growing. It starts out small and it grows. And some years... It just doesn't even look like it grew at all. But over time, it gets bigger and bigger. And one day you look at it, it's this huge tree. So don't be discouraged, Christian. Paul says your progress doesn't reset to zero. It's like a tree growing, not an event. Maintain it. And then he gives us five practical ways that we maintain our progress. Mature Christians hold fast to what they've maintained, what they've attained, by forgetting the past and looking to the future. I know this is incredibly hard. This is way easier said than done. People in this room have terrible, broken pasts filled with abuse and hurt and lies and pain and mistakes Lots of sin. But we pray to God and abide in Christ to renew our mind that we may be healed and cleansed. We may never lose those scars, but God will heal us. Paul isn't saying we need to forget everything, like as in, like erase our memories, you know, uh, men in black style. But he does want to heal you. He wants you to be free from that bondage and burden. Lay it down at the cross. We can't change the past, but we can look to the one who changes our future. Because someday everything will be made perfect. All of that stuff will be made right. Again, I know, easier said than done. But we pray, and that is our goal. And that's what God wants for you. Mature Christians hold fast to what they've already attained by imitating those who are more mature. I know, we've heard this from this pulpit one million times. So I'm going to talk about it from a little bit of a different angle. In our culture, we have what cultural anthropologists call a low power distance. That is the distance between authority and the follower or the subject. The teacher or the student, right? The pastor or the congregant. Well, basically, when it comes to authority, Westerners see ourselves as increasingly equal to our authorities as peers. For example, when we, you know, we're in school, we hear the professor say all the time, you know, hey, you know, we're students together. I'm just learning along with you. Or we see the preacher saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm just preaching to myself, you know, here, we're all on the same level here. Or, um, you know, the, the supervisor at your job is more like just 
a, a guy keeping you in line and helping you succeed than he is um, a boss or telling you what to do. When we're sick, we Google our symptoms. We go to the doctor, we're like, yeah, this is what I need right now, you know. We know more than that doctor. Our Western culture has very little respect for authority. The gap between the leader and follower is so small and most of the time non-existent. But in developing nations, they still have a high power distance. In the classroom, teachers tell you the answers. In the church, the pastor is honored and he tells you how to think. Bosses tell their employees what to do. The authority expects complete obedience and respect simply because of their rank and title. Now, Paul's culture was similar. If a Roman soldier told you to jump, you jumped. Rabbis and philosophers were respected because of their position. And Paul is telling the Philippians, imitate those who are more mature than you are. Copy them. We're not all on the same level of Christ-likeness. You haven't arrived. Don't think you've arrived. Respect your elders. Obey them. Submit to them. And we would do well, Grace, to adopt a little power distance. To follow those who are more mature than us. To look to them. To imitate them. Find people in this church that you know raised their children well. Have dinner with them. Have dinner with the Saris or the Lewises and watch them raise their kids. You can't fake it when you're at their house, right? <laughs> it's great. Here, we can't do that. We can put on whatever show we want. We can imitate people that we think are cool. But it's only in the life of community that we truly are able to imitate those people. Ask them questions, learn from their mistakes and their successes. We become what we behold. It's the way God designed us to maintain and grow. Three, we, may, we maintain what we have attained by focusing on the cross and not earthly circumstances. Now, we've been getting a lot of positive motivation by Paul, but now he's switching over to negative examples. Verse 18 and 19. For many walk as enemies of the cross, their destruction. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Their minds, their way of thinking is set on earthly things. That's what's in front of them. He says, don't imitate those people. Don't take the easy path that leads to destruction. Paul has already seen some of these Philippians and other people that he's even worked with leaving the faith. They're not holding fast to what he's been teaching them. And they're revealing they never believed in the electric fence. They can't see the prize. Paul pleads, if you truly love God, do not Follow your earthly senses, your eyes, your stomach, your fleshly desires. Don't set your mind on worldly pleasures or circumstances. See his focus? Paul explicitly says that their minds are set on earthly things. When we start looking at those things, we start to love the world's ways or be influenced by its thinking. 
and our spiritual eyes grow dim. We stop focusing on that heavenly prize and the heavenly realities, and we start focusing on earthly ones. Paul says, man, that's, that's walking as an enemy of the cross. Don't walk away from the cross. Run to it. The only path to glory is through that cross, suffering like Christ, becoming like Him in His death, good or bad, no matter what our situation, our joy must be grounded in Christ and future glory so that whether we're living in chains as Paul is or we are living in a castle, we are content because all we see is Christ. We also hold fast to what we've attained by remembering we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom and not of this world. Remember in chapter 2, Paul told the Philippians that they were lights in a dark and twisted, perverted world? He's reminding them now again, believer, you're an alien. The world will hate you when you bring that light because they love evil, I mean, love darkness, and they hate what you have, and they consider what you have evil. But don't be confused. Remember, you're not a member of their community. You aren't a citizen of Philippi or Rome or America. You're not like them. So return their wickedness with love, kindness, and patience, and blessing. Because you're a citizen of an eternal kingdom of light. You're a child of the king. Remember that, Grace Church? When you're struggling, when you feel like your counter has reset to zero, you are a child of the king still. So rest in that. Because one day, Jesus, your Savior, who you've pledged allegiance to, is going to rescue you. He's going to perfect you and he's going to exalt you and you can rest eternally in peace and joy with your heavenly father. Mature Christians, make that the focus of your heart and mind and oh, how your life will change. So, in conclusion, Paul's mind is set on the heavenly prize, which is the perfecting of all things, including us. But in the meantime, believers are called to a spiritual maturity in our thinking, in our mindset, that is part of our sanctification. It's our present perfecting, which is becoming more and more like Christ. We will never attain it completely in this life, but we strive for it as our goal. And Christians that grow in that mature mindset will increasingly think in these certain ways. They're going to focus on that heavenly prize. Know that you've maintained and attained a maturity, but you are not perfect yet. Know Christ has securely saved you. Press on because you're saved. Hold fast to what you already have attained, forgetting the past, looking to the future, imitating those who are more mature than you. 
focusing on the cross and not earthly circumstances. And remember that you are citizens of that heavenly kingdom, not this world. Thinking this way is part of becoming as perfect or spiritually mature or Christ-like as we can be in this life. Because positively, Christ has made us his own and one day, including us, all things will be made totally and completely perfect. And negatively, Paul is warning us that if we don't think this way, we're walking as enemies of the cross. And our end is destruction. And we may have never been born again. But thankfully, thankfully, God does not leave us to ourselves. The secret to growing spiritually is found in a song that I used to sing as a little kid. You guys might know it. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And you, okay. The secret to growing in maturity is not our own actions and doing things better, but it's on, it's in abiding in Christ. Through prayer and the word, the Christian's mind and desires are shaped to discern the will of God, things he loves and things he hates. Loving what he loves and hating what he hates is having the mind of Christ. So abide in Him. Renew your mind in the Word. Put on the mind of Christ that Paul has called us to and let it motivate you to press on because He's made you His own. If you're not a Christian yet, if you haven't trusted Christ or seen the beauty of the Gospel, then you're on the road to destruction. You are one of the enemies of the cross that Paul talked about. And we plead with you through tears that today is the day of salvation. Look to the Savior. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. Run to that cross, turning from darkness to light, and follow Christ.